interesting. As we read the account, it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it progresses in each book. It's, it's quite interesting. In Matthew, the only thing we see or hear in there is this. Uh, the leper says to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Mark adds this fact that the man implored the Lord and kneeled before him. But Luke includes it all when he says this in verse 12. Behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Luke is a doctor, remember? And his diagnosis is the man has an advanced stage of leprosy. He's full of leprosy. Look at the man's plea to Jesus. It's full of humility and full of faith. First, the humility. He bows down on his face before the Lord. Secondly, he says, Lord, if you are willing. He doesn't doubt the Lord's ability. There's nothing in here to doubt the Lord's ability. He's only saying, Lord, are you willing? I know you can heal me. I know you can make me clean. Are you willing? It's a compassion. It's, it's an appeal to the Lord's compassion to heal. And here's a lesson for Peter and for us. The Gospel of Mark notes that Jesus acted with compassion. And in verse 13 in Luke it says, Then he put out his hand and touched him. And I believe that man felt that touch. (laughs) Because I believe that as soon as the Lord touched him, he was immediately healed. And he says, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, leprosy in the scripture is also a type or a picture, an illustration of sin. It graphically pictures the defilement of sin in our lives. Sin may begin in almost an imperceptible way, you know, like a little spot on our skin. It doesn't seem like much. It doesn't seem like, you know, it's just a little sin. It's just a little thing that I've gotten myself involved in. But as it progresses, it becomes worse and worse, and it makes us kind of grotesque. Sin is like that. It becomes ugly and loathsome and contaminating. And sin separates us from others, from family and from friends. But ultimately, sin separates us from God and makes us outcasts. Just like leprosy is deeper than the skin, so is sin. It's deeper than the outside, what we do. It's what we are. We are sinners by nature and by practice. Just like this leper came to the Lord in humility and in faith, so if we as sinners come to the Lord In humility and faith, the Lord will heal us. And we can say to him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Not just from a disease, but Lord, you can heal me. You can cleanse me of all of my sins. And we will hear those words of the Lord here in this passage. I am willing to be cleansed. Soon as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, immediately he heals us. Immediately we are saved. Immediately, our sins are forgiven. Jesus told the man to show himself to the priest. This is what the law demanded. If he was going to be restored into fellowship with other people, he had to be examined by the priests. Imagine the shock uh, to the priests. They had never seen a case like this before. The last time it had happened was to Naaman, a Gentile. <laughs> there was no Jew who had come before in, in, any, t- in any recent history. 
So the laws are on the books, but they've never been used before. Well, wait a minute. We've got to go to the scroll and find out what we've got to do here. And as they read through it, they saw what they had to do. And they were able to declare the man clean, of course. Jesus changed the man's life forever. And he can change you too from the inside out. No longer alone. No longer shunned. No longer an outcast, but brought near by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to be a fisher of men, Peter, if you're a Peter here this morning, you're going to come across some very unlovely people. Maybe they won't look like what we saw here, but they'll do some very unlovely things. They're sinners just like you. They're sinners just like me. They're sinners in need of a Savior. Leprosy was contagious. So I want to move into our next story, and I want you to see if you can find what's contagious here. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Did you catch what it is that's contagious here? What's contagious? Any guesses? Faith. That's one thing, and I'll leave the second thing to a little later. It's two things that are contagious. One is faith. That's, that's the first thing. Well, there was quite a crowd following Jesus by this time. All, uh, and it aroused the curiosity of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And so they gathered together and they came from far and wide to see what it was that Jesus was all about. And they came to the town of Capernaum where Peter lived. And this is probably taking place in Peter's house. If you look at the other Gospels, it seems pretty apparent that this was Peter's house. And they traveled quite a distance to hear, and I think to trap, the Lord Jesus. So there were some from Galilee, from Judea, and even from the religious capital, Jerusalem. Peter seems to have had quite a large Mediterranean house. And the reason I point this out is that um, when we hear the story about men climbing on the roof, we often think of roof line like this. And I don't think they climbed on a 912 pitch. I think it was a Mediterranean house with a flat roof. And many of the homes in that era 
had a staircase on the outside of the home to a flat roof where people would go up and they would eat or bathe or do other things up on the roof. Just it was a, it was like their patio up on the top of the house, flat roof. So take take out of your mind that somehow they were you know balancing on the on the top of a peak roof like that. Um, so th- the other thing is that um, we we read in an, in the Gospel of Mark, I believe it is that. From morning to evening, the sick came, and the demon-possessed came. And it says that um, even the whole city came. So I'm sure he had a large enough house to accommodate a lot of people, not the whole city, but a lot of people, and uh, they came from morning till night. Now, at some point during this time, not only were there the religious leaders there, but crowds of people were there to be healed. Now, the Pharisees were sitting there watching Jesus this whole time. And they were watching him as he was healing people of their diseases. They knew a spiritual work was going on, and it wasn't going on through them. And one by one, as people filtered through the home and they were healed, they had to, they had to think, what's going on here? What is it? Who is this person? Who is Jesus? And news spread fast and excitement grew as person after person rushed home to tell somebody what Jesus had done for them. So much so that, as I said, the whole city ended up coming out. The blind man, can you imagine this? He saw his children and his wife for the first time. The mute man was leaving the home shouting at the top of his lungs. The lame man was jumping and leaping and praising God. Do you not think those things happened? I think we often think, oh, yes, they came single file, took a number, I'm next. (laughs) There was excitement. There was joy. There was a thrill. And people were broadcasting as far as they could, look what Jesus has done for me. All restraint was gone. And as those who were healed told others, the crowds gathered thick at Peter's house. The nets were breaking. And Jesus was catching men. As people heard what Jesus had done for others, they came as well, believing that Jesus could heal them too. You see, faith is contagious. If Jesus has saved you and you tell others, you know what? It's contagious. People will listen. People will believe you. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as you begin to tell people what Jesus has done for you, the great things he has done, It's contagious. People will come to know the Lord. So there were five guys in town, and they heard about Jesus. And it's entirely possible that four of them had already been to see Jesus. It's entirely possible that four of them had already been healed that day. I don't know the story entirely. We just get a little snippet here. But I can use a little creative imagination here. And maybe they were just observers, but I'm sure they talked about what they saw and heard. And maybe it went something like this. Did you see what Jesus did? Yeah, he healed a man. Yeah, did you see that? He cast out demons too. He just spoke the word. And that guy that has been so crazy and he's been acting so bizarre in town for all these years, he's normal. Yeah, I noticed that too. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I don't know. What are you thinking? What about our buddy, the paralytic? Why don't we take him to Jesus? Do you really think Jesus could heal him too? Yeah, I do. 
I really do. Look, he's already healed a whole bunch of people that were lame. Take him. Let's get him together. Let's bring him to Jesus. Yeah. Faith is contagious. I don't know. One guy says it's been years since the accident. I don't know why he was a paralytic. Maybe he was born that way. Maybe there were crazy buddies doing things together, stupid things together as teenagers, and one of them got injured, and they all felt responsible for him. I don't know what happened, but he's a paralytic. They all felt a compassion for him. He had friends more than the leper had, and they brought him to Jesus. Their faith spread to each other and even to their paralytic friend. But how would they ever get him in to see Jesus? By now, the, the, the town is there. The crowds are there. How could we possibly get him in to see Jesus? So many obstacles to faith. A person may see their need for a, the Savior, but there are often obstacles in the way. You know, I've got a wife. I've got children. I've got a career. Money. All kinds of things. Possessions in the way of faith in Jesus. Crowds of people here. There was a traffic jam on the highway to see Jesus. The Lord often allows faith to be tested. you know that? It's good. I think it's very good. And he allows it to be tested here. Do you not think that the Lord knew that these four guys were carrying a paralytic to him? Even though there were crowds of people, the Lord knows everything. He could have said, hey, guys, listen, there's a poor guy being carried here by four, four of his friends. He's a paralytic. He can't walk here on his own. Would you just clear a path for him, please? He could have said that, but he didn't. He allowed their faith to work its way out. It's great. I love it. They were met by a roadblock, but didn't stop them. They were hindered by a crowd of people that didn't change their plans. They were faced with a flight of stairs. You ever carry somebody up a flight of stairs before? But with each step, they believed the Lord would heal their friend. Then there was the problem of a roof. It's got a tile. It says that in the scripture. There was a tile roof. Now, I don't know if you've seen some of the construction going on here. We took sheetrock off the wall. That was hard enough. Tile's harder still. And they, they dismantled the tile roof. But underneath the tile, there's a floor underlayment. And you've got to take that off too. I don't know what they use. I don't think they brought hammers with them. And underneath the tile, there's the, there's the uh, wood framing. They've got to get it big enough to get a guy through there. There was a lot of work to do to get this guy in there. And each step was a step of faith, trusting that if we just do this, if we just do this, we will get him in front of Jesus and Jesus will heal him. That's what their hope was. That was their goal. We have a picture of what it could have looked like. Okay? I think the crowds are more than that. But the idea is it's, it's a fairly thick roof and they probably brought him down on something like that with uh, you know, sheets or something like that and, and laid him before the Lord. Okay? <clears throat> big enough to let a friend, a friend through. Now, if this really was Peter's house, which I believe it is, it makes what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, 9 even more significant. This is what he says. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Here's the guy covered in sawdust sitting next to Jesus and all the stuff that had fallen through the debris pile probably landed on him. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. If you're going to catch men 
and women for the Lord Jesus Christ. Be hospitable. It's a great way of reaching out through hospitality. And don't let a little dirt and mess that visitors uh, make stop you from opening your home to sinners and to saints. Fishing for men requires a little work. But I, I will tell you this. There is, a, there is a good side of this. At least most people don't smell like fish. Okay? So fishing for fish has its, has its drawbacks too. All right? Count your blessings. And now inch by inch the man is let down through the roof right in front of the Lord Jesus. And when he saw, listen to what it says, when he saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven you. It's an interesting twist, isn't it? Wait a minute, I thought the friends brought him to be healed. What's this thing about your sins are forgiven you? Did he come there for that? I think so. He does a wonderful thing here. The Lord Jesus Christ takes care of the man's most urgent need first. Really, it's the only need. Now, he's gracious, and he, and he heals him too later on. But really, that is the need. We have needs. Oftentimes, the Lord allows needs in our life to make us call out to the Lord, to see that we really need the Lord. And I think that's what he did here. And he forgives the man's sin. A lot of people cry out to God in their needs. You know, their marriage is falling apart. So they turn to God. God, help me with my marriage. Their kids are all messed up. Lord, help me. I, I need your help because my kids are all messed up. Or they have some physical ailment. Lord, I've got to go in for surgery. I've got cancer. I've got this. I've got, Lord, I need your help. And they think that's their need. But it's not. They have a need there. But that's not their real need. Their real need is for a Savior. Their real need is to have their sins forgiven. I don't know what your needs are this morning, but I do know that if you're not saved, your number one need this morning is that you need a Savior. And His name is Jesus Christ. In the hospital, when a patient flatlines, you know what a flatline is in the hospital? It's not a good thing. They hook you up to all these monitors and you hear this beep, 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 beep. Beep, beep. And as long as you keep hearing that beep, beep, you're okay. Okay? The moment you stop hearing that, you're in trouble. All right? It's called flatlining. And um, not a good thing. It's usually a cardiac arrest or a respiratory uh, arrest. And a call may go out over the PA system paging emergency responders. Code blue, two, five, four, seven. And it just means, code blue means we got an emergency. Whoever is responsible for this kind of an emergency, you need to get to floor number two, room 547, stat. It means right now. Okay? Code blue is the emergency call. Now, how strange would it be if the emergency workers, these are guys and gals that are trained specifically to, uh, for this kind of emergency response. Now, can you imagine them going into the room, rushing down the hospital as fast as they possibly can, getting into the room breathless, running in, pulling out their wallet, pulling a $20 bill out and saying, boom, here's 20 bucks for you. You say, oh, that's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. But it's just as nuts as somebody who says, my need, Lord, I'm in trouble financially. I need your help. When really the desperate need that they have is not a financial need. It's that they're dead in their trespasses and sin. And they need a Savior. Code blue has been called for you. Spiritually, spiritually speaking, you flatlined. 
And you're dead in your trespasses and sins. But Jesus came to bring life. He says, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. All of your problems simply point to the fact that you have a serious need and that is a need for salvation. Forgiveness of sins. Well, the Pharisees and teachers of the law heard Jesus say to the paralytic man, your sins are forgiven you. And they had a hissy fit. It says this, and the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts. So this is the second contagion we see. What is this? What is it in this section that's contagious? Not unbelief. Unbelief. Just like faith is contagious, so is unbelief. And these guys have been so long together that they have cast doubt on the Lord Jesus, cast doubt on God, cast doubt on God's word. And they've created a little group, a little clique of people who doubt God about everything. And so they see all of the healing. They see the paralytics raised up, the blind seeing, the demon possessed, or the demons cast out. They see the power of God at work and they doubt it. They're seeing it and they're doubting it. Doubt. Now, they were correct to think, who can forgive sins but God alone? Only God can forgive sins. But they were blinded by their unbelief. Here was God standing in their midst, in the same room with them. And they refused to recognize him. The Bible says that only God can forgive sins. Isaiah 43, 25 says this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That's God speaking. God says again, for the Lord says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Because of this fact, David could say and cry out to the Lord, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Against you and you only have I sinned. Purge me and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. For those of you who have had your sins forgiven, you can say with the psalmist, Bless the Lord who forgives all my iniquities. If you don't know the Lord this morning, you can't say that, but you could by the end of the day. Trusting the Lord Jesus Christ for your sins, for your soul's salvation, you can have your sins forgiven as well. Secondly, only God can heal you. The wisest doctors on earth will admit this one fact. I can give medicine. I can do surgery. But only God can heal. Only God can heal. And he says that in the scripture where God says, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And later he said, I will take away sickness away, I will take sickness away from the midst of you. 
Again, in Psalm 103, we say, Bless the Lord who heals all your diseases. And third, God is the only one who knows what you're thinking. Did you see what it said in that passage? He says he perceived their thoughts. And he said openly to them, why is this that you reason this in your thinking? Why are you thinking like this? It's wrong thinking. How would he know what they're thinking? They didn't say it out loud. He's God. God knows what we're thinking. Well, Jesus' statement created quite a stir in the hearts and minds of the religious leaders, reasoning in their hearts. Who is he? Who is this Jesus? Is he speaking blasphemies or is he in fact God the Son? So he asks them the question. When Jesus perceived, verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered, (laughs) he answered what? Their thoughts. He answered them and said to them, why are you reasoning in your heart? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or rise up and walk. Well, the skeptic could say, it's easy to say either one. Yeah, anybody could say either one. I just said both. Which is easier to do? When you say rise up and walk, if nothing happens, then I'm going to doubt everything else that went before it. But if that same person who said your sins are forgiven you also says rise up and walk and he gets up and he walks, the man who is a paralytic gets up and walks out of the home, back to his home, I'll tell you something, I believe both statements. Jesus is God. The statement should have shocked them. Just saying to them, why is this that you pers- um, why are you reasoning in your hearts? That should have shocked them into reality right there. Who else would know what they were thinking themselves? Do you remember the woman at the well? She was shocked by the fact that Jesus knew everything she had ever done. This is even more startling. He knew every thought that they had. It's possible to hide your thoughts from other people, but I'll tell you something. You can't hide your thoughts from God. He knows everything. He knows everything you think. God knows everything. That alone should have convinced them that, was, that he was God. God can do anything. And that's what he proved by healing the paralyzed man. Arise, take up your bed and walk. Now, verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately... He did that. The healing was immediate. Therefore, this, the forgiveness of sins was immediate as well. And the crowd was amazed and they glorified God. Everyone in that room should have bowed down right there and then before the Lord Jesus Christ as God, their maker and their savior. The healing verified the credentials of the Lord Jesus Christ. They verified that his statements were true. And just as sure as the man was healed at the command of God, so too were his sins forgiven uh, by Jesus' statement. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is he, really? He is God manifest in the flesh. By forgiving the man's sins, he proved he was God. By knowing what the scribes were thinking in their hearts, he proved he was God. 
And by healing the man of his paralysis, he proved that he was God. Now, there's a phrase in this passage that I purposely skipped over. I don't know if you noticed or not. I read it, but I read it quickly, so I wouldn't emphasize it. But I want to emphasize it now. It's found in verse 17. Now, it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. This is the phrase I want to emphasize. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Them who? Yeah. The, 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 the scribes, the Pharisees, the, the, the religious leaders. The Lord Jesus Christ could have and would have healed them. The power was available to heal them and to, uh, of their sins and to forgive them for their sins, but they refused to believe. The Bible says, for without faith, it is in, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The power of the Lord is present here today. The Bible says this, that in the preaching of the gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so as we preach the gospel and we tell you the truth, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day for your salvation. When you believe that simple gospel message on the authority of God's word, I tell you, you believe it, you're saved. You believe it, God forgives your sins and you are healed. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. Faith is contagious, but doubt is just as contagious. Unbelief is just as contagious. How do I know that God will forgive you of your sins. I know this because God said it. I know this because God has saved me. And I've got to tell somebody, He can save you too. He can save you here this morning of your sins if you believe. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that what we have that is contagious is the gospel message. And I pray, Lord, that those who are here who do not know you would hear it, would believe it, and be saved. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.